Today I would like to speak to you guys about fruit bearing and would, I would like to address the fear that there can be in your heart when it comes to fruit bearing. Many times when we hear the word fruit bearing, fear grabs our hearts and we think, oh my goodness, you know, I don't want to hear anything about fruit bearing because if I hear anything about fruit bearing, it just spells defeat, it spells, um, I mean, you just become tired and you just feel Oh, you know, this whole thing about fruit bearing, can't I just rather hear about the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God? That would be enough for me. I don't want to hear anything about fruit bearing. Now, today I'm going to uh, show you th uh, how wonderful it is to be in a place where you can understand what fruit bearing is all about and that you can understand that it's actually impossible for you to bear fruit um, by your own strength. Now, uh, even in my own life, and I want to testify out of my own life. You know, there was a time when I was uh, very legalistic. And under the law, I tried to obey so many commands, tried to do so many things. And through those commands, uh, tried to live up to the standard which I thought God um, demanded. And as I did that, you know, you would have like a high and you would get it right for a week. Well, you think you get it right for a week. And uh, then you would miss it and you would have a low and then a time of repentance and all those kind of things. And then you go to a service again and you renew your vows and your commitment to God and you try again. It was just like this roller coaster life. And uh, inside that, your subconscious mind uh, gets programmed with you're never going to get it right. Which is a very good thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to come to the place where we can know that we will never get it right. Uh, so I want to read a passage to you from um, John 15 and explain to you how impossible it is to bear fruit. And then I want to explain to you what Christ has come to do to bring forth fruit in you effortlessly and how to remove the fear from your heart. And we're going to look at what fear actually is and where fear comes from and how to, be, uh, how to be free from that fear. This message will really help you and it is directed towards people that do believe in the grace message, that has been walking in the grace message for a while, but still, if you must be honest with yourself, you're at a place where you say, well, thank God for the fact that Jesus loves me. Thank God that He is good. But when it comes to fruit bearing, then, you know, my heart, if you must be honest with yourself, your heart uh, hides, just um, pulls away from that. You just feel, man, I, I got hurt there so many times that I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to see that. Now, one thing that I want you to know is that it's very important to be um, very honest with yourself. If that is what you feel, you know, you can say that to God and He can show you and help you. I think that is one of the greatest things in my life that I found has helped me, is where I don't try to hide what I actually feel, but where I would go to God and say to God, God, um, I know that you love me. I know that you've prepared a place for me. I know that um, I'm in you and all those kind of things. But when I read scriptures where Paul talked about, you know, husband, love your wife or, um, you know, be good to your children, love one another, like Jesus said, turn the other cheek, all those kind of practical things where he says forgive one another and all of that, it's like I, I don't want to read that. I, I don't want to see that. And if you go with honesty towards the Lord and say, Lord, I can confess that is what's in my heart. I know you don't reject me. 
I know you will never push me away, but I can see one of the greatest apostles of grace ever, the Apostle Paul, wrote these things, and the same joy wherein he wrote about uh, what Jesus Christ has done for us, he writes about those things, and I don't understand that. Would you please explain to me? You know, when we come to the throne of God, it is a place where you can be at ease. God is not going to, He's not tricking you into bearing fruit. He's not tricking you into the law. At the end of the day, the whole thing about fruit bearing is going to rest upon God and not us. Fruit bearing is all about God bringing forth His fruit in us. It's not about us bearing some fruit. But I want all of you that watch in this, in this fellowship, be honest with yourself. If you still, if you feel a little bit antagonistic towards fruit bearing, uh, open it up to the Lord. Say to the Lord, that is what I feel. And can you help me? Can you show me? And then I want to say this. Don't expect that when you say something like that, that everything is going to be just miraculous. Expect God to show you, teach you, and through relationship and through Him bringing a new mindset to you, that He will bring forth understanding in your life. This is a relationship. It's not about you know, saying a magic prayer and then God doing things. That's not how it works. Can, can God do things in a miraculous way? Of course. Uh, we, we know God as a God of miracles. He does miracles. But there's also a relationship with the Lord. And, so, um, and be comfortable in that relationship. Be comfortable in learning. You know, when, a, when a, a child goes to university and is there for the first year, those, he's not going there so that the professor can in one minute quickly teach him everything there is to know about medicine or everything there is to know about uh, engineering or whatever. He goes there and he's comfortable in knowing that it's going to take me four, five, six, seven years and, and I'm going to learn this. How much more in our relationship with God, where God is a relationship-orientated being, and He wants to love us into things. Glory to God. Now, um, I'm going to read, and uh, I don't have the slide on the screen, the others I do, but I want to read from uh, John 15, and I want to read verse 8. It says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now read it again. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now I want to read from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it bring more, can bring forth more fruit. Now are you pruned through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, and... As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I am him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, if you read verse 8 there, it clearly says that, that herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So, fruit bearing brings glory to God. It is, what can this be, or what is this glorification that there is inside fruit bearing? Now, when you just read verse 8, it feels as if that verse says, unless you bear fruit, you are not a disciple of the Lord. 
<laughs> That's how it, it can be seen as a commandment where it actually says, Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And then it says, So shall you be my disciple. And then the message that can come through that, if you read that with a legalistic mind, can be, You better bear fruit, otherwise you're not a disciple and you're going to go to hell. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Now that's why God has to come and bring forth fruit in us because human ability can simply not do it. One thing you need to understand when it comes to fruit bearing is that you of yourself can simply do nothing. And the fruit that God has got in mind when it comes to fruit bearing is that, is that of um, Jesus when the Bible says, unless... Uh, grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, he cannot bear fruit. But if that grain falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And when he said that, he was signifying the life that he had on the earth and that if he could die and be resurrected, then he could bring many people unto this immortality wherein you've conquered physical death, where you've conquered the fruit of, of the flesh and all those things. Now, if the will of the Father is that we bear much fruit, and the context is eternal life, who by his own works can ever attain unto immortality? That is why he says, of yourself, yet you can do nothing. That means, if the end goal is an eternal or, or uh, uh, immortality in the human flesh, where the body is raised from the grave, wherein you become immortal and have the eternal life that God has promised, not just towards the Spirit, but towards you as a whole, as a human. Who of us, by loving our neighbor, tithing, sowing, reaping, and any principle you think can ever attain unto that? It is impossible. If you take dust, you need to know the only ability that dust has, and I said it this morning in church as well, the only ability that dust have by its own is to return unto dust. If, we've, if you build a house from dust, you may take dust, form, make bricks out of it, build a house, brick, mortar, everything, and you build that whole house, and from that dust you turn it into a house. And imagine that house could have a mind of its own, and that house says, you know what, I'm going to sustain myself. What ability is there inside that house? The only ability that that house has is to manifest what it is. And if you leave that house on its own and you don't do upkeep to that house and you come back in a thousand years, you're going to find dust there. Because that is all it is. It doesn't have the ability to sustain itself. In the very same way, when God made us, He made us to be beings that He will sustain with life. Of ourselves, we can only be uh, that wherein God shapes us and forms us. Out of ourselves, we can do nothing. And it's the will of the Father that we will bear the fruit of eternal life. So, we need to understand that when it comes to fruit bearing, even after you are in grace, know this, you cannot do it by yourself. You will never be able to do it. The only thing you can do is abide in Him and He shall bring forth much fruit in you and He will bring forth eternal life in you. I would like to explain what happened in the Garden of Eden. When we look at the Garden of Eden and we, we see 
what happened there, we will see that Adam and Eve shied away. They were hiding from God. Uh, and in that form, they could not bear fruit. Now I want to look at why they hide away. Because many of us, we feel when it comes to fruit bearing, when we talk about, man, j just be honest with yourselves. If we talk about uh, loving the poor, if we talk about being kind, if we talk about loving your neighbor, if we talk about patience, if we talk about anything that's actually mentioned, peace, joy, those kind of things, so many times we want to hear it from the perspective of a law, uh, uh, from a perspective of something that we need to do, and not from the perspective of it being a fruit in us on account of God that has cleansed our minds from a legalistic mindset. So um, even when we are in grace, you know, like I said, sometimes we are a bit scared. Now I want to read uh, Genesis 3 from verse 9. Genesis 3 from verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I hear your voice, and, and this is what Adam said, he says, And I heard your voice in the garden, I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I told you not to eat? So what the scripture says there is that they, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was, and as I've explained many times, and for those of you that watched this for the first time, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the belief that says, I can behold God, I can look at God and the perfection of God, and then I can, by doing what I see God does, in other words, doing the good that I see in God, that I can create life for myself. That I can create life for myself. Now, Adam and Eve, when they did that, they saw their nakedness, and that nakedness describes their inability to have eternal life by their own works. Now, I want to say that again, and this is very important. We just think that Adam and Eve just didn't walk with clothes. And, uh, you know, the nudists like that scripture. You know, Adam and Eve, and then they think, well, Jesus Christ has come and restored all things so we can go and walk naked on the beach. Now, when the Bible talks about nakedness, it's got nothing to do with nudists or n uh, nudism. What it's got to do with, and when the Bible talks about nakedness, it talks about Adam and Eve that was made from the dust of the earth and that in their own ability, inside the ability of dust, they did not have the ability to be clothed with eternal life, that they were beings that were created as recipients of love, that someone else had to clothe them, someone else had to give it to them. And the reason why I say this is because of the scripture that Paul says, he says that we are awaiting immortality so that when Christ comes that we will not be found naked, talking about not having immortality. So when God made man, he didn't make man with the ability to be immortal by his own doing. He took him from the dust of the earth and man by himself could, has never had the ability to, to bear fruit by himself. Adam and Eve, even in the Garden of Eden, just after creation, could not bear fruit. It was impossible for them. God never made man with the intent that man should bear fruit by his own power. Not even in the perfect situation where Adam and Eve was, that they have the ability to bear fruit of themselves. And God warned them in that state and said to them, listen, know this, that you don't have the ability 
to bear fruit. But you know, Adam and Eve, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. And that is beautiful. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And that ashamed, um, if we just look at the definition there, ashamed means the following. To put to shame, to be ashamed, or to be disconcerted or confused, to be disappointed, to feel shame, or to delay in shame. Okay, so uh, when, when Adam and Eve was naked, and they came up to God, they weren't ashamed about that. They weren't ashamed about the fact that they cannot do anything by themselves. They were just living out of the goodness of God, and that's how God would bring forth peace and joy and whatever in their life. Then there came a time when they were deceived. And when they were deceived, they went and they said, we're not going to live by God bringing forth the fruit in us, by His doing and by His kindness and by Him, But what we're going to do is, we're going to copy God, and by that we're going to bear our own fruit. The moment they did that, they realized, then they were naked and ashamed. Naked and confused. They saw their inability. They saw what what Satan said to them. They tried it, and it didn't work. It's almost like um, the time when I was in Bible school, and I did the sowing and reaping thing. Man, I, I looked at the law. I looked at the law of sowing and reaping. I looked at the law of tithing, and when I looked at that, it looked desirable to make me wise. It was beautiful for the eyes. It had all those beautiful things, and then I started to apply those laws. Now, before I applied those laws, I knew that I am only what God says I am. Uh, You know, and what I was there was just the grace of God. It was like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, and that is how I lived. But as I was presented with that message, what happened to me was, it was presented in a very beautiful, fashionable way, wherein my heart was deceived. (laughs) I started to believe a lie. And as I believed that lie, um, you know, you're deceived into that kind of a thing. And when I started to believe that lie and I started to apply it, I found it didn't work. And I was confused. It was like, why? What is this? Why is it not working? Um, actually, the more I try to do this thing, the more I struggle with temper problem, the more I struggle with frustration, the more I look down on the poor, the more I look towards the rich, the more I start to like things. My goodness, you know, I start to see all... I, I never saw all those beautiful cars that there is. I never saw... I, I didn't worry about Nike shoes and I didn't worry about all the name brand clothes, but all of a sudden that is important. And then I would be confused. I would be confused. I, I was confused. Now, when we, when we look at that and we see the, that, uh, what Adam said in Genesis, and Eliana, if you can just go back to the previous slide there, the first one, I want to just read verse, um, verse, verse 9 to 11 there again. And it says in verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Okay, so now listen to this. He says, I was afraid because I was naked. So what happened was, the Bible says, Adam said, I was afraid because of my inability. Now that word fear there, I want to look at that word fear. 
The word fear means the following. It means to fear, to revere. It is just uh, slide two, right? Um, to fear, to revere, to be afraid, to fear, to be afraid, to stand in awe of or to have awe, to have reverence, to have honor or to have respect. Okay, now, <laughs> what, what Adam said, he says, God, I hid myself. Why? Because I, I saw my inability and I still respected you. Now, how does that work? And let, let us make sense out of that. You know, when the best way I can explain fear and awe together, wherein you have respect for God or f- the fear of God or stand in awe of, because that's what that word fear means. It's the same word as with the, Jesus said, you shall fear the Lord, um, the, where um, the, the Old Testament says, you shall fear the Lord your God. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God. Uh, where Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 5, when he was in the desert. You remember the instance where Jesus was in the desert and the devil came and said, worship me. And then Jesus said, no, you shall only worship the Lord your God. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 5, where it actually says, you shall fear the Lord your God. So the way Jesus looked at the word fear is actually worship or reverence. You shall only have reverence for the Lord your God. But Adam came and he said something. He said, I had reverence for you from the platform of my inability and I, I was mindful of my inability, and from there I had reverence for you, and that caused me to hide away. Now, how does that work? The best way I can explain it is this way. If you are an American, and you go to Russia, and you find out that Russia, you go to Russia's military, and you go and look at their fighter planes, and you start to realize that these guys, and I mean, imagine you're an electronic engineer, You've got, and, and you like planes, and you like these kind of things, um, and you go and you look at these brand new fighter jets they have, and you realize that these things are more advanced than anything the United States has ever thought of. You would stand in awe of what those Russians have built. You would say, wow. If you go and look at their nuclear submarines, and you look at their missiles that can do Mark 7, Mark 8, that is faster than anything you can imagine and that, that was ever made. It's like, my goodness, I stand in awe. But you know what? If you, the, the moment you stand in awe of what Russia has created, the next thing that will come to your mind is, I'm not a Russian, I'm an American. So the, and that will bring fear to you. And you will want to hide away. Why? Because you are approaching that beauty from exclusion and not inclusion. So Adam comes to God and he says, I'm not immortal. I've got death in me. I'm dying. I can see your beauty, but I don't see myself united with that. I see myself separate from perfection. I see myself separate from eternal life. I see you as the holy God and I am the one trying to attain unto that. And that causes me to be afraid. That causes me to be ashamed because my mind is all the time on my shortcoming and my inability. Now, the, the beautiful thing there, it's, Adam says there that um, I hid myself. That word hid myself means to hide oneself or to draw back. 
Now I find the same thing takes place even amongst grace believers. It's like we believe in the goodness of God, but when we hear anything about fruit, it's almost as if we draw back. Why would you, and I've asked this myself, why would I want to draw back the moment I hear about fruit? Why would I want to draw back? Why would I want to distantiate myself and I would be a little bit ashamed? The only reason why we would be ashamed is because we are still not seeing ourselves fully unified with God. Because the moment we see and we can adore God and we say, look at that holy God, look how righteous God is, look how beautiful God is, look how perfect God is, and we can adore Him and sing praises, and we think that we are not exactly like that, the thing that will happen to your heart is you will be ashamed about your own works. You will not even want to reveal what's really in your heart. But if you can approach the throne of God from the platform of where you see Him and you see His perfection and you can be fully convinced of your equal perfection, that is the only place where you will not be ashamed and where you will not be afraid. The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. And then listen to this. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that we should have eternal life. So, when, when you can come, and, and this is the love of God, the love of God is that God could grant eternal life and immortality to man as a free gift. That is the love of God. Now, where this love is made perfect, when you really see what it means and when you can see that I have got eternal life, I've got the immortality of God, I've got the life of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and where you can approach God, where you can have awe for how good He is, but in the same breath as what you see, that awesome, glorious God, you cannot see yourself separate from that truth, but where you're united in that on account of His doing, that's the only place where you will live without fear. It's the only place where you will not be afraid of fruit bearing. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And God knew that. God knew what happened to Adam and Eve. He knew what was taking place. Adam and Eve could not see themselves united with God. They could only see the holiness of God, and they would say, a holy God, a good God, a loving God, a righteous God, but me, a sinner. Me, I don't have that. I just simply don't have that. And what does that bring forth? It brings forth, I want to hide away. Now, why would Adam and Eve want to hide away? Remember, Adam and Eve tried to do everything God does to have life. It would be like a person trying to have, trying to have life by the law. You believe, behold all the good things of the law. And as you are beholding all the good things of the law you find that you simply cannot do it. Now, after the fifth time where you find you cannot do it, then you become a bit shy. You know, I remember the time, you know, when I just got into, in, in, really into legalism and law, it was, well, we're going to pray. Well, then we pray four hours a day. Now, after doing that for a month or three, then you become a bit shy of praying. You know, you're like, you don't want to hear a lot about praying anymore because you know what hard work it is and you know how many times you failed. <laughs> the more you fail, the less you want to do it. 
and the more you want to hide away, that's something, you know, it's like the victory of a friend. Uh, you know, if you've got a school friend and, and uh, you were just best friends and you guys start the same kind of business and then he starts to do well and you failing and he's doing well and you're failing and he's doing well and you're failing, the more, the better he does, the less you want to do with him. That's just how it works. The very same thing with God. The better he is, the less you'll want to have to do with him if you cannot see yourself united with him. If my kids see me doing well, they don't feel ashamed. They don't feel they want to hide. They're happy because they know they're heirs. <laughs> Glory to God. So in the very same way with God, the moment you can see yourself as family with God, as no distance, no separation, fully holy, fully righteous, everything on account of His doing, none of yours, where you can see your inclusion into the Godhead, when you can see that, that's the first day when you will live without fear and where you will not be afraid of fruit bearing. When we look at fruit bearing, we should see it as part of the package. We sh- you should not see it as a command. Fruit bearing is something God promised. Here God comes and John 15, and he clearly says, of yourself you can do nothing. So, when he comes and he says he'll bring forth Christ, and that Christ, this is the work of Jesus, it's the work of Jesus to bring forth fruit in the earth, it's not your work. It's the work of God to bring forth fruit in the earth. And the only way he can bring forth fruit is to provide Jesus and to put us in Christ, and as we can believe and see that, he brings forth fruit. It's not of your doing. It's not your responsibility. It's just part of the package. It's part of what God has come to give us. The highest quality of life that you can ever live in this world is a life of forgiveness, a life of peace, a life of love, a life of generosity. There is not a higher life than that. That life is so robust that the evil of this world cannot touch a person that has got that. But to have those things as a command where you see God lives like that and you try to live like that will cause you to run away from God. Now, the Apostle Paul comes and I want to show to you what he does and how how he gets people to start to understand fruit bearing. And I want to read from Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that as many as of you that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, um, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we walk in newness of life. Just look at verse 1 again there. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And this is the key verse, verse 3. Know you not. Look at what Paul does. He comes and he points out our union here. Know you not that as many as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, when we look at that passage, we, we look at um, Christ 
what Paul comes and what he does is he says, the question is, shall we continue to sin? So now it's immediately, oh well, there's a holy God and shall we sin? He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. See yourself united with God. Don't come in awe of God and not see yourself united with Him. So if you want to talk about sin and the end of sin, don't come and say, look at the holy God, look at how good He was and whatever, and now it's my responsibility to bring forth this good. No. He says, look at God and never ever see yourself apart from Him. You know, uh, I I read up, um, some church history says that that scripture that Paul wrote where he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound, was actually a correction of some of the Gentiles that said that when we were Gentiles, we, we had this explicit sin. We were not even part of the, the commonwealth of Israel. We, were, we didn't even have the law. We lived in the greatest sin you could ever imagine. And then look at how good God was in the midst of our sin. So if we continue with this, how do you know how, what next good thing will God bring our way? So let us continue with this and let God be good to us. That was their mentality. Now Paul comes and he corrects that. He says, let me tell you this. Why do you want to see yourself separate from God? Don't you know that when you became a believer, or not even just a believer, when Christ died, that you died with Him? And when He was raised, that you are raised with Him. So what He comes and He says, never, because these people were standing in awe of God, look how good God was to us when we were just sinners. Which Paul quotes and which, which he says. But what Paul wants us to see is, he wants, to see, wants us to see the goodness of God, not from the platform of separation, of a God being good to bad people. No. He wants us to see, let us see ourselves in God. When Jesus died, then our sin died. When He was raised, we are raised with Him. And that we will be raised in the very same way as what He was raised. He was raised by the glory or by the Spirit of the Father. And as He was raised by the glory or the Spirit of the Father, even so shall we walk in newness of life. Isn't that beautiful? That is absolutely beautiful. I want to read Romans 6 from verse 5. Hear this. Romans 6 verse 5. For if you have been planted together in the likeness of His death. Look at Paul. He's unifying the people with Jesus. He says, we're not bringing glory to God. We're not worshipping God without seeing our union with Him. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not be a slave of sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if you be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives, He lives unto God. Likewise, reckon, and that word reckon there means connect the dots and come to the bottom line conclusion, you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, got no fear anymore, but alive unto God through Jesus 
our Lord, let not sin on account of this truth, or therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and the lust thereof. Now, that is absolutely powerful. Look at the Apostle Paul. He comes and this is what he says. He says, listen, you in yourself don't have the ability to be righteous by your own works or to have eternal life by your own works. And you see how good God was. And now we want to approach God. Don't come and approach God in a way where you know you're naked and where you're going to be ashamed. We can approach God knowing our nakedness, in other words, knowing our inability, and we, will not, we don't have to be ashamed about it. Now, I'm not ashamed to say that I can never pray enough. I'm not ashamed to say I can never love my neighbor enough. I'm not ashamed to say to my wife and to my kids that I, I cannot be, I, I'm just a man. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. But my view about myself is found in Christ. The old man has died. And unless Christ comes and manifests by His resurrection power, immortality, and heals my flesh from all manifestation of all sins, you know what? I will see the signs of mortality. That's all. And I will not be ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed. I'm walking in the perfection wherein I can walk now. Like I said, I think three, four weeks ago, it's like with a perfect patient. A patient is someone that's in a hospital that can have a broken leg or a broken arm or had a major heart operation and he's, he's there and you can ask the doctor, how's it going with this patient? And he can say, man, he's perfect. But in the meantime, he's, he's still there on a machine or something. But everything's perfect. It is as it ought to be now. So I want to say to you, as what a man in a hospital that has broken his leg and is busy recovering and the medicine is healing him and all those kind of things or is helping his body to heal himself, as he's there and he's not ashamed that he cannot walk in the very same way we can approach God, look at his perfection and his awe without seeing ourselves separate from that yet in the midst of our shortcomings today. And we will not be ashamed. And you know what's the most wonderful thing? God says in the midst of this, I shall bring forth fruit in you. So what this means to me is the following. When I look at my future, and I've seen that in my life many times, you know, the, the fruit of not stressing, for instance, I've seen that in my life manifest many times. There was times when I would say, man, if that bad thing happens to me, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'll do. My life will fall apart. I don't. And then when that bad thing happens, I find that it wasn't that bad. That the Lord actually brought forth fruit in that time. It's like Paul said. He says, we rejoice in the resurrection and in our glorified bodies that we will have in the hope of salvation, talking about the resurrection from the dead. But he says, we also rejoice in tribulation because we know that when the tribulation comes, He will provide us with fruit in that time. And that is what he says in Romans 5 verse 1. Uh, it say, he says there, you know, that when hard times come, he brings long suffering. So God is not saying you must bear fruit. He's just saying, is it okay if I bring it forth in you? That's all he's saying. And let us not approach God from the, the way Adam approached God, where we see him as awesome, holy, but where we approach him from a place where we don't see ourselves unified with him.
always see yourself unified with God in Christ Jesus. And from that union, you'll find you will not be ashamed and you will, be not, and you will not be afraid, or, you know, where you have reverence with hiding. You know, the moment you've got reverence and you want to hide, it's called fear. It's called fear. The definition is fear. But where you have reverence in union, you know, it is called worship. That is true worship. You cannot really worship God and say you are holy without seeing your perfection. Because what makes him holy? If, if, because the holiness of God is revealed. The love of God. How do you say to God, God, you are a God of love without seeing yourself as the recipient of the very immortality that God possesses. Because herein is the love of God that we will have eternal life. How do you call God holy or set apart outside of Him treating you completely different than what any legalistic system would treat you? When He shows you mercy and kindness, where He gives you a place where you are seated with Him in the Godhead. How would you ever, ever call Him holy unless you see Him as unless you see yourself unified in Him, unless you see yourself as the object of His love where He has perfected you and where you patiently wait for His Spirit to, to, to bring into subjection everything that's His enemy in your life, including in the end, in the return of Christ, uh, death, where you conquer death, your death in your body and bring forth life and immortality in you. There's no way. There is no way. So we need to see ourselves united with Him. That's why, and I end up with this, the Scripture says, abide in Him. Abide in Him. Adam and Eve didn't abide in Him. They looked at the glorious God, but they could not see themselves united with that God. They could not see that. They could not abide in that. They started to see themselves separate. They abided in knowledge of their own ability and shortcomings and didn't see themselves uh, as uh, or in equality with God. See yourself, and this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, when we behold the glory of God in the face of a man, meaning if you see a man glorified at the right hand of the Father, which is Jesus, when you behold that, you see yourself. And as you see that, then you live without fear. And from that perspective, you'll find the fruit that comes to your life is you will not be afraid of bearing fruit. You will not be afraid anymore. You will not be ashamed anymore. And you will say, well, I see the package. I see what you've come to bring. Inside me is a desire to love. Inside me is a desire to be kind. Inside me is a desire to be extraordinarily generous. Inside me is all those desires. And I do see fruit of that. But yet there's a desire to see so much more of that manifest in my life. But thank God that he has, when I see that desire in me, it is not God telling me what I must do. It is God saying to me, is it okay if I bring it forth in my time without hurting you? And then I say, I'm comfortable in your love, Father. You do whatever you want. I give you the, permi the permission. And when I give him the permission, it is not when I jump up and start to do things. <laughs> it's when I just enjoy his love for me. And as time has gone on, I start to see the things that will take place. I want to testify. I didn't plan to do this, but I want to testify. About, I can't say how long, but it can be a year ago, um, uh, I was 
even a bit longer, I was in my bed and I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm preaching on a television station in South Africa called Christ Cake. And um, it's not a large station. It's an, it's an Afrikaans station. And I enjoy preaching on the station. I said, you know, and I felt in my heart a desire to preach on larger platforms because there's so many people that need to hear this gospel. And, um, uh, and you guys know my teaching on how to hear the voice of God. And when, when a desire comes to you, it's actually God that gives you that desire. You think it's just a nice thing you want to do. In the meantime, it is God bringing forth that desire in you. And uh, I felt that I wanted to preach on, on, on some larger stations. And, um, well, it's very expensive to preach on those stations. I didn't have the money to preach on those stations. And uh, so I, I, I said to the Lord, Lord, I feel this desire and I know it's you asking me if it would be okay if you bring that forth in my life. And to make a long story short, um, I've, uh, in this week I'm signing the contracts to preach on TBN Africa where we'll be covering the whole of Africa and we're going to preach this grace message. It's amazing. And you know how it came forth? Not by my doing. It was not by my doing. It was not by me cleverly manip- manipulating people, trying, having the, the gift of hints to open doors. I didn't sow for it. I didn't tithe for it. I didn't confess five times, nothing. God came and asked me by putting a desire in my heart, if it's okay, if he brings it forth. Um, I saw myself united with God, perfect, holy, if I preach on that station or not. doesn't matter. I, I saw that perfection. I just lived in that peace. And here God brings it forth. Glory to God. And we're going to be on some other stations in the United States as well, two other stations in the U.S. So I'm excited to, to, to just see how God works. Isn't this amazing? It's beautiful. And this is the doing of God. Glory to God. I would like to pray for you um, right now and then after prayer just uh, announce something. Father, I want to thank you so much for the honor to preach your gospel. Thank you for the honor of seeing myself and these people that are here in the studio, the, the people that are connected all over the world, see them perfectly united with you, holy and righteous. Thank you, Lord, that this message can be preached as the only truth there is. Thank you that we can know it by speaking these words. It's almost as if my mind says, a human mind cannot form these words. They cannot think of these words. It's only God that can bring it forth. Thank you so much, Lord. I stretch my hand forth towards the people that are watching, and I say to you, you are loved by God. You are united with God. The holiness of God is yours. You cannot worship God without seeing yourself in the perfection of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Uh, I just want to say this. I want to thank everybody that uh, sponsors this ministry. From the depth of my heart, I want to thank you. You know, I, sometimes I just feel that I don't thank you guys enough. Um, you know, but my mind is also not to, to just, um, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful. But I also know it is God bringing it forth uh, through you. And I want to thank you for just who you are and what you do and making this possible to preach on this platform. Thank you so much. I would also like to um, tell those of you that are gathering in groups um, or families together in this time, just use this time, the next 15, 20 minutes, and just talk about this message, you know, and ask one another, what have you learned out of this? What has God spoken to you? And this is also a time to just pray for one another, and it would be great 
uh, if you guys do that, and I know you'll benefit from that. I want to thank you so much for watching, and I will see you in this week in our short, uh, short uh, webcasts on Facebook. It was such an honor to minister to you.